0: Glory to his name. Amen. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Haggai. Haggai, we'll be looking at chapter 2, verses 10 through 19. It can be found on page 791 in the Pew Bible. 791 in the Pew Bible. Haggai 2, 10 through 19. Verse 10. On the twenty-fourth day of the month of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priests answered and said, No. Then Haggai said, If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priests answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands. And what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, Since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask now that you would speak to us through your word. Help us receive these words and apply them to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Recently, I was reminded of a person being at a crossroads, at a turning point where the decision they made would have a life-changing impact and effect. They had to choose what direction they would follow. And in looking back, they are thankful for the course of action that they took Because in looking back, they can see how their life would be different, how their life would have been different and not in a good way. In looking back at your life, have you had an experience like that? In looking back on your past, have there been decisions that you have made that changed the course of your life? Maybe it was a job change or a location change, or a financial change, or a relationship change, or a church change, or a physical change? Well, if you're a Christian, it was a spiritual change that took place for all of us. A turning point took place in our lives in which we came to trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we moved from death. To life. We move from darkness to his glorious light. We move from judgment to mercy. We move from curses to blessings. And in our passage this morning, a drastic change takes place. A turning point has taken place for the people of Israel when it comes to their relationship with God. God will move from curses to blessings for the people. So as we consider this passage this morning, we'll unpack it under three headings, and then we'll apply it at the end with several implications. First, questions, we see questions concerning holiness and uncleanness. Questions concerning holiness and uncleanness. We see this in verses 10 through 13, but beginning here in verse 10, on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, so the date is now December 18, 520 BC. December 18, 520 BC. We're, we're exactly three months. we three months into the reconstruction of the temple. As you recall, Haggai delivered the first message to the people of Israel. And they were stirred by the Lord to rebuild the temple on the twenty fourth day of the sixth month. They had responded in obedience and fear. And began the work, and, and after their call to consider their priorities and consider their ways. Then, in the second month, then in the, in the second message, and then seventh month, despair and discouragement began to settle in for the people. And yet, the Lord called them to persevere in the work, continue in the work of rebuilding the temple. And God had promised that He is with them. And that future glory is coming, which will be greater than the glory of Solomon's temple. And so we pick up here, right? We pick up here with a third message. We pick up the story in the ninth month. And the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet. And this time, the priests are now addressed. We've seen in the previous messages that the leaders were addressed. Zerubbabel and Joshua, who was the high priest, And the covenant community was also addressed. These were the religious leaders in that day. If you had questions about the law, they would go to the priest to receive instruction concerning the law and its interpretation. It was a responsibility of the priest to then provide instruction for, uh, for the people based on God's law. And that's what we see in verses 11 through 13. Notice 11 through 13. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priests answered and said, No. Then Haggai said, If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priests answered and said, it does become unclean. So, two questions are now brought to the priests concerning holiness and uncleanness. According to Leviticus 11 through 15, the people of Israel were given laws concerning holiness and uncleanness. These laws highlighted the Lord's demand for holiness. Uncleanness and defilement prevented one from participation in worship and in community life, in the religious community. And so these two questions concern holiness and uncleanness. In the first scenario, someone carries holy meat in the fold of their garment, right? So they have a fold of their garment, they carry the meat in that garment, and then the fold of the garment then touches bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food. Does that food then become holy? Now, before we unpack this further, what does it mean to be holy, right? Because the, the, meat, the meat is here described as holy. So what does it mean to become holy? To be holy means to be set apart, distinct. It could refer to something or someone. It could also be defined as consecrated or wholly devoted for a sacred purpose, right? for God's purposes. So holiness refers to God setting someone or something apart for consecration to a specific task or purpose. The meat that was offered to the Lord became holy, and whatever touched the meat also became holy. And in this instance, the holy meat touched the garment, and therefore would have made the garment holy by direct contact. But now, the garment is touching something else. Other food that's listed here. So do those things, do those things then become holy? So the holy meat touches the garments and the garment touches other food. Is the food, that other food now, holy? That's the issue. The issue is whether the garment, which was made holy by direct contact with meat, can then transmit and transfer holiness to something else, some other objects. Can holiness be transmitted to the third Level. That's the idea. That's the question. And the priest's reply is what? The priest answered and said, no. And that leads to a second scenario. Someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these things. Does that make them unclean? And their answer is yes. It becomes unclean. In fact, if someone touched the holy that is unholy, something touched the holy that is unholy, unclean or undefiled, it makes the holy thing unclean. It makes the holy thing unholy. In other words, defilement and uncleanness are transmitted to that which is holy. Uncleanness is more contagious than holiness. And perhaps an illustration would help, right? Perhaps an illustration will help. When we are healthy... We can't pass on our good health to someone who is sick. I wish we could do that. But when we are sick, we can pass on our sickness to someone who is healthy. One is contagious and the other is not. When a child's clean hands touch a wall at your house... They don't make the wall clean. But when your child's dirty hands touch the clean wall, they make the wall dirty. And we probably know that scenario all too well. Don't touch anything. Don't touch anything. That's what's going on here. Now, why? Why this illustration, right? Why? Why these questions concerning holiness and uncleanness? Leads us to our second point. We see the consequences for uncleanness. The answers to the questions are now applied to the people of Israel and their work in rebuilding the temple and the sacrifices that are offered there. So look with me at verse 14. Then Haggai answered and said, So is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. So the answers to the questions concerning holiness and defilement are now applied to this people, to this nation before the Lord. And similar to what we saw back in chapter 1, verse 2, in which the Lord referred to them as these people. The Lord is not pleased with this people. He's not pleased with this nation. And specifically what we see in verse 14 is that the Lord declares every work of their hands. And what they offer there is un. Clean. In other words, because of their defilement, because of their uncleanness, the work on the temple, the offerings being given there are not pleasing to the Lord. They are not acceptable in the Lord's sight. The uncleanness of the people makes the gifts and the offerings and work on the temple unclean. The temple, which was the place where God's presence would dwell among the people, the place where contamination and defilement would be removed, that holy place, because of the uncleanness of the people, that work is now contaminated. As a result of their, their spiritual uncleanness, they contaminate everything with which they come in contact. Therefore, the Lord takes no pleasure in the specific task of rebuilding the temple. He takes no pleasure in their sacrificial offerings. Everything they do and everything they offer was defiled by their sin. And the evidence of this was seen in the consequences of their, for their disobedience. The evidence that God did not delight in their work and their offerings was seen in the covenant curses that came upon the people. As you may recall, the people of Israel, they lived under the old covenant and they were blessed when they obeyed, and they were cursed when they disobeyed. You can read about this in, in Deuteronomy 28. Their disobedience, as you know, ultimately led to their exile. Right? They experienced God's judgment. It led to their exile. But then they had finally arrived back in the promised land. They were still experiencing the curses of the covenant. We saw this in chapter 1. The Lord blew away what they had made. The Lord withheld the dew and the produce. The Lord called for a drought. They had sown much but harvested little. It was like they had holes in their pockets. The money just disappeared, their hard earned wage just vanished. And that's what they're reminded of again in verses 15 through 17. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. So God calls them again to consider They're to give special thought and attention to. They're to set their heart toward what was happening among them from their past and in their present situation. They're to consider their current situation. They're to give special thought to what happened before they laid the temple. They're to examine the past. They're to observe the consequences that came because of their sin and they're to learn from the past. It's intended to move them toward God. Before they began built this building project, what was the result? In verse 16, They sowed much, but the harvest was little. Their grain harvest was less. Their grape harvest was less than the amount expected. And it is because the Lord, the Lord struck them and all the products of their toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. The Lord, the one who is in control of nature, saw to it that they were cursed for their disobedience. These three disasters, blight, mildew, and hail, were the consequences for their defilement. They were the curses of the covenant. And what's the goal? What's the goal of these disasters? It was to lead them back to the Lord. The Lord did these things, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. That's the goal of correction. That's the goal of judgment. That's the goal of discipline. That's the goal of rebuke. is so that they might repent. They might change direction and return to the Lord. God's discipline and correction comes so they would change the course of their life as they examined what was happening. They were to repent of their sins. They were to repent of their pride. Repent of their self-reliance. Repent of their self-interest. Repent of giving God the leftovers. Repent of not giving Him the wholehearted devotion that He deserves. So having looked to the past, looked back to the past, and given careful consideration of the past, they're now to look forward to the future and what God has promised. So third, the promise of blessing. The promise of blessing. Verses 18 and 19. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. They're now told to consider from this day onward. They are to consider from this day onward again. They are to consider from this day going forward, from this date, the 24th day of the ninth month, so from December 18, 520 B.C., They're to give special thought to, set their hearts toward what is happening and what will happen in the future. Since the day they laid the foundation of the temple, they're to consider in verse 19, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. At this point in time, the seed wasn't in the barn. It was in the ground. It was currently December, and the time for planting had already taken place, just as you all know here. They were now in these winter months waiting to see what the harvest would be like. Scholars recognize that the people of Israel also would have no idea. They'd have no idea what the harvest would be like that year because they also had to wait for the march and april rains. And he never knew they never knew what they were going to get. And so the people must wait upon God. They must wait upon his promises that he will provide for their needs. The harvest was entirely dependent upon God. And at this point, they're given a promise. A promise of blessing. The Lord says, But from this day on, I will bless you. God is promising to bless his people. He turns from curses to blessings. And in light of the old covenant, this would remind us that this covenant community had turned to God in repentance, they had turned back to the Lord. They had begun rebuilding the temple and were moving in the right direction. And God promises that he will bless them. They could now expect a great harvest because of their restored, reconciled relationship with God. And this would all be attributed to God and his grace and mercy toward them. Though they had failed in the past and experienced his discipline and judgment in the past, He promises from this day onward, this day forward, that he will pour out his blessings upon his people. This is an act of God's grace and kindness toward repentant sinners who have turned to him and are relying upon him. And this promise, I will bless you, should also remind us of the covenant and the promise that God made with Abraham. In Genesis 12, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Imagine, imagine for a moment, a child hearing from their parents, I will bless you. I'll bless you. This highlights the fact that the parents are pleased with their child. What a word of encouragement, right? What a word of encouragement and comfort as they wait patiently and as they depend upon the Lord, they can rest in the promises of God, that God is pleased with them as he was with Abraham that God is in a relationship with them as he was with Abraham that God expresses not only that he is with them but that he will bless them this would serve to encourage and strengthen the people to do what to motivate them to further obedience and faith as they wait patiently for the promise now in light of these truths in light of these truths let's let's consider some practical implications that as we seek to apply this to our lives So I've got four implications. Number one, observe the consequences of sin. Observe the consequences of sin. This passage is a call to consider. To consider the consequences of sin and the outcome of our spiritual condition apart from God. And then repent. This passage highlights the need for ongoing repentance. Though we live under the new covenant and not the old covenant there are similarities god had a relationship with his people he was their lord he was their king he was their god however for the people of israel their disobedience led to covenant curses which were tied to material things in the in the promised land and their idolatry and injustice ultimately led to their exile from the land and even having returned They were still experiencing the curses of the covenant. There were consequences for their disobedience, which were observable through their poor harvest. Well, in a similar way, not not the same way, right? In a a similar way, there are consequences for our actions, right? We know for non-Christians, the wages of sin is death, eternal death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There are consequences for our actions as Christians as well. Our behavior has consequences. Sinful actions can hinder our fellowship with God. Do you realize that? Sinful actions can hinder our fellowship with God. Even though we have a personal relationship with God, and he's our father, and we are his children, which will never change. We still and can do things that don't please him. We still and do or say things that hinder our fellowship and communion with him. One scholar observed three instances. I found this pretty helpful. Three instances in the New Testament. First, according to 1 Peter 3, 7, a husband's prayer, a husband's, prayer life can be hindered a husband's prayers can be hindered if he does not treat his wife in the way she deserves to be treated with dignity with honor with love second instance according to ephesians 4:30 we can grieve the holy spirit when our speech does not build up one another in third instance in james 4 We are told to draw near to God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And then James says this, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is the imagery of the priests in the Old Testament. The point is this, we are to be cleansed on the inside and the outside. While Becky is gone, Becky's been gone the last couple days, while Becky is gone, I've been doing the dishes. I've been, I've been doing the dishes. Yep, the dishwasher does the dishes as well. But I do other dishes as well. And so, I don't just I don't just clean the outside of the bowl and then put it in the cupboard. Right? I have oatmeal and clean the outside of the cup and uh, the bowl and then just put it in the cupboard. I don't I don't do that. I clean the inside too, right? Clean the inside and the outside. Like the bowl, we are to be cleansed on the inside and the outside. And this occurs by humbling ourselves before the Lord and devoting ourselves entirely to him. And God will cleanse us from the inside out. And if we don't right if we don't, if we don't draw near to God, if we don't we don't humble ourselves, our relationship, our fellowship is affected and God would not be pleased. So let's observe the consequences of sin. Number two, what do we do then? What do we do then? Christian, non-Christian, what do we do then? We turn to Christ. We turn to Jesus. The point of this observation and this examination is intended to lead them, lead the people of Israel and us, back to the Lord. It's intended to lead us away from our sin, away from our uncleanness, and to God, to turn back to him. And yet, the people of Israel, we know this too well, the people of Israel often failed. They often refused. They needed new hearts. They needed the fulfillment of the new covenant. And then, at the appointed time, God sent his son Jesus to live the obedient life, to live the life that Israel failed to live in righteousness as the obedient son, and he came to fulfill the law's requirements and to die a sacrificial death on the cross as a substitute for sinners. The curses of the covenant then fell upon Jesus as he bore God's wrath for you and me. And he received all the blessings as well because of his obedience to the point of death on a cross. We are then to turn to Christ because he is the one who can make the unholy holy. You see, prior to Jesus, when someone touched the unclean, like a leper, they too became unclean. It reminds me of a story in Jesus' ministry. When someone was unclean, like a leper, they were forced to go outside of the camp. They were required to remove themselves from community so that the contagious disease and uncleanness wouldn't affect others, right? They're to go in isolation. Which meant that they were isolated from family, from friends, from the community, from the religious family and community, They were excluded from others and alienated from God. It was understood as punishment for sin. And then with the arrival of Jesus, a leper, right? One who is is unclean, one who is defiled, comes to Jesus and Jesus moved with pity, stretched out his hand. And you're thinking to yourself, I'm thinking to myself, don't do it. Don't do it, Jesus. Don't touch the unclean because then you will become unclean. He stretched out his hand and he touched him. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Remarkable. The clean touched the unclean and made the unclean clean. That's what Jesus does for us. And so we observe our sin, we observe the, the consequences, and we repent, we turn to Jesus. And this is to be an ongoing reality, continual repentance, daily turning to Jesus. For those who repent of their sins and are united to Jesus by faith, we are made holy and undefiled by him. So in light of what God has done for us in Christ, let's turn to him in repentance and faith. Number three set your heart on being holy set your heart on being holy from this day on set your heart tor- toward holiness and Christ likeness you see we recognize here the significance of personal holiness in the work that we do the people of israel were were in the land they were doing a holy work right they're rebuilding the temple and perhaps they they supposed that the act of working on the temple, the act of working on that which was not contaminated would actually rub off on them. Perhaps they thought that since they were doing a holy work and offering sacrifices, even in building the temple, that it made them holy and acceptable to God. Just because you are doing a holy work, serving in a church perhaps, or helping others in need, it doesn't necessarily mean that we are growing in holiness. Right? We can easily become deceived. But God is concerned with your personal holiness as you serve him. One pastor rightly stated it like this. God didn't just want them doing holy work, but being holy in their work. He didn't just want them doing holy work. He wanted them to be holy in their work. And that's so true, isn't it? That in whatever we do, right, God has called us to do lots of various things within our church, right, as you do your daily jobs. Whatever your job is, we are to be holy in all of our conduct. We are to act in a way that pleases God no matter what he calls us to do. And as we do a work of ministry, as we build up the body of Christ, as we seek to make Christ known, we're to strive to be holy as the Lord our God is holy. Now, I would remind us as well that as we set our hearts and minds toward holiness and a desire towards being holy, this doesn't mean, though, that we avoid all contact with that which is unholy or worldly, so to speak. Right? That doesn't mean that. We have to be in the world in order to reach the world, right? But if the world's influence leads us away from our pursuit of holiness, then, then we need to be aware of that. We need to watch out for that. We need to examine our hearts and not compromise in our own pursuits of holiness and likeness. But the way we can reach the world, the unclean, so to speak, is the same way we were once reached. And it was likely, it was likely through someone who was a Christian, someone who was set apart for God and serving God. And what did they do? They came in contact with us. And they brought us to Jesus the only one who can cleanse us from every stain and sin. And so, that's what we need to do. Right, that's what we've got to do. We need to persevere in the task of building God's kingdom as we serve the Lord and bring people to Him. Number four, lastly. Rest in the promises of God. Rest in the promises of God. From this day on, from this day on, rest in God's Promises for those who have repented of their sins, for those who have turned to Christ, we are given promises by God. Just as the people of Israel were given the promise of God's future blessing, we can trust God that He will bless us in the future as well. And you may you might know this when we studied Ephesians. He has already blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We are chosen adopted, redeemed, forgiven, given an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. We have been given the Holy Spirit so that now we are holy, not because of our actions, but because God has given us His Spirit to dwell within us. We are made holy by God. We are considered holy ones. We are given resurrection life and already reigning with Christ, God has promised to bless us with his presence in the future when Christ returns. And so as we wait for that day, from this day on, let's set our hearts on holiness and let's, set and let's rest in God's promises. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, That's what we want to do. Our heart's desire in prayer is that we would set our hearts toward holiness from this day on. That we would be set apart to serve you wherever you place us, Lord. Help us live in a way that pleases you. And help us rest in your promises. You have given us many promises. You have promised to never leave us nor forsake us. You have promised us a future salvation in which we will be in your presence forever in a new heaven and new earth. We look forward to that day. And I pray that as we think about the past, and as we look forward to the future, that it would motivate us in the present to live holy lives for Jesus.